This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you. Good morning. So we're in the midst of uh, studying spring into summer, the Vimalakirti Sutra. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm just noticing it's a long weekend, (laughs) right? It's a holiday weekend and a lot of times we might be sort of closed. We might not offer a Dharma talk on a holiday weekend like this because people go away, go on vacation. But it's just such a topsy-turvy time where it's difficult to plan things, to gather in groups. And so I, I'm just noting that we're open this weekend and I'm just really glad that you're here. I'm very happy to be here too, to be here together to spend a few minutes just looking at this sutra, the invitation of this sutra, the opportunity of this sutra. Um, I don't know, to understand the Dharma more deeply, to understand what it is to be alive more vividly. And so for those who aren't in the Thursday night class, don't worry about it, it's okay. But for those who are, it's really cool to continue this conversation in a different setting, in a Dharma talk on a Sunday morning. So um, Joan Sutherland, who maybe some people have heard of, she's a wonderful Zen teacher who um, teaches from the point of view of koans a lot of times. She uh, gives teachings on this particular sutra. And just to take a a step back of what this sutra is about. So Vamalakirti is a layman. He's not ordained. He's not um, one of the people who follows the Buddha around. He's contemporaneous with Shakyamuni Buddha. He's a householder, which means he is married. He has kids. He has a job. He has worldly responsibilities and he is like the buddhist version of the gadfly i think (laughs) right socrates anyway um he's buzzing about and he's uh he's showing up at the most inconvenient times (laughs) when some teacher or some renowned disciple of Shakyamuni is is offering some kind of teaching on the Dharma. And then Vamalakirti shows up and kind of upstages that teacher. And I was thinking about this, you know, how helpful this is about giving feedback about getting in there with each other. Vamalakirti gets in there and he, he offers feedback. He says, hey, wait a minute, are you sure? What about this? 
or so the the sense here that I have is that no matter how much we you know know about something or how long we've been practicing or what rites and ceremonies we've gone through what color robe we're wearing there's always a shadow that we cast or how does that work there's a shadow cast on us <laughs> there's always some incompleteness you know some kind of clinging some kind of limited Sometimes some kind of limitation in our understanding. Darlene said it so succinctly, we only have eyes in the front of our head. I could turn around and look back, but right now, I mean, actually it's interesting, I can see on my computer, on my camera, I can actually see. <laughs> very interesting but I guess I can't see immediately right behind there's a spot there I can't see at any rate this is not a problem our limitation is not a problem in fact our limitation it's like my mom a couple weeks ago this insight about being sick and didn't want to be a burden and that's why she didn't reach out. She didn't want to be a burden. And then we both saw that that, that that experience of her being sick was actually an opening for our deeper connection, hers and mine. It was an opportunity to come closer to each other, to help each other, to be in the truth of connection with each other. So this incompleteness is not a problem. It's an invitation. It's a door that opens to, to help and be helped. Um, and I was, I was actually thinking, like, I don't know. You know, the limitation of the sutra, maybe, of Amalakirti, is that he just, he's, and, and someone pointed this out, I think, maybe last week, he's so... Um, it's like it, apparently he's always right. Apparently he always gets the last word. And I just want to say to you that the deeper practice that you are doing, that I am doing, that we are doing with each other is giving each other feedback, getting in there with each other without always being right. But sometimes I feel in the intimacy of giving and receiving feedback, of being truly in relationship with each other, telling the truth, sharing our experience of each other, that sometimes we don't want to give that feedback because then we're exposed to being wrong. We're exposed to being needy. And so, you know, we might hang back and just watch. So I, I'm sensing that as a sangha, we're at a place right now 
where we are getting in there more with each other at staff meetings, leadership meetings, with the retreats that we'll have, working in the garden, even going on hikes with each other. It's, it's starting to get a little bit more complex and that is so wonderful. Don't be afraid. So back to Vimalakirti. So this sutra was written about 2000 years ago. The basic premise or the, you know, the impulse for this, what, what Vimalakirti is saying is I am sick because the whole world's sick. So he, he, he develops this illness, he's, he's sick at home, and then he invites, he wants people to come visit him. And it's an opportunity to engage in the Dharma. And there's this miraculous situation where his room, Vamalakirti's sick room, is only like 10 by 10, 10 feet by 10 feet, but it somehow fits all these beings, these bodhisattvas, and these laymen and laywomen and these monks and nuns who come to, to pay their respects, you know, to sit with him. And then also, as we'll soon see, to hear the Dharma because Manjushri is going to be the only one who agrees to go. And once Manjushri agrees to go, everybody's like, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll go. <laughs> Manjushri, you do the talking. <laughs> And we'll bear witness. Uh, so that this sick room, and you know, it's interesting, does, is Vamalakirti really sick? Or is he using that as a, um, does he make himself sick in order to create the situation? But then this sick room becomes a place of healing. You know, and here's the other teaching that healing takes place right in the site of sickness. As one of the Zen koans says, um, what is it? Um, medicine and sickness mutually correspond. So, uh, and then as Joan Sutherland says, which I think is wonderful, she says that this, this space, this 10 by 10 space, represents both the space of awakening, the space of healing, the space of awakening that already is present within each one of us. And it's also the field of awakening that we create together. This place of healing that we create together. And here's a direct quote from Joan Sutherland. The invitation of the sutra is to step right into the dream of awakening, becoming welcome, being welcomed into your own heart. And she, as a, you know, I believe she's also a Jungian practitioner, psychologist. She's, you know, familiar with the shadowy realms, the shadow of the psyche and all of this. And so there's this kind of dream-like um, environment that encourages us to release our grip on what we think is real. 
and what we think is knowable and what we think is possible by experiencing whatever it is in another way. You know, not through the usual way that we seem to fall back into, which is conceptualizing. How we get rutted in dualistic thinking, which is a prison, which confines us into, you know, a narrow kind of half life. It's not a life of liberation. It's not a life of freedom. So the sutra itself is kind of, it's an allegory. It's, you know, as we're beginning to see, there's comedy, there's pageantry, you know, that we'll see more and more. The the march of the bodhisattvas, you know, these miraculous happenings that occur. Um, And it's this great teaching on what you've been hearing about. We're going to be talking about more and more shunyata, which has been, unfortunately, um, translated as emptiness. You know, I could see how with the, the, the translation of emptiness, there's a, you know, the positive aspect when I think about emptiness is like looking at the sky right now, just outside my window, it is vivid blue. There's no cloud. Well, there's a little bit of a streak. But for the most part, it's this vastness And there's a feeling of spaciousness there. And when I say, unfortunately, this word emptiness, because the positive aspect with the spaciousness is that there's so much possibility, there's so much breathing room there. But the negative aspect, some of us might associate that emptiness with meaninglessness. And in fact, this has been a phase that that we who are studying and practicing Zen have gone through. It's very dangerous. This nihilism, this meaninglessness, or that, you know, this notion that, you know, it's all, even it is what it is. It's, it's called, this is called, this is a dharma sickness. This is another expression of sickness of this hanging out in the absolute. That, you know, that this emptiness somehow means, and here's the word, there's no agency, that there's no choice. Because this is, this is still conceptualizing emptiness. It cuts us out, our practice, vow, effort. It cuts us out from that. It does not allow for emptiness also being empty. And so when I ask my teacher, my flesh and blood, flawed, clinging teacher, (laughs) Blanche, when I asked Blanche, well, how do you understand? What, what would you say is a better translation of shunyata? She paused for just a moment. 
just enough to not be knee-jerk, but quick enough so that I felt her alignment. And she said, connection. So, and, and I think at least I'm really enjoying the warmth of Amalakirti. The, especially in this last class, his response to some of the more advanced monks out on their begging rounds, still falling into the delusion of what's possible and what's appropriate even, and who to ask for help from. And I noticed, it was so funny after the class on Thursday night, because I just did it again. My grammar is getting worse and worse the more we study Malakirti. Like I'm ending sentences with prepositions. It's really bizarre. It's all breaking up. It's all just falling apart. Uh, So before I go off too far on one tangent, I did want to connect this with this warmth and this emptiness of emptiness. In other words, connection. That this vast sky, this emptiness, you know, this connection I feel that Blanche was talking about is compassion. It's the compassion of this vast empty sky and yet there goes a bird. This black, this bird, our birding expedition last week where, you know, I was watching the, um, I was sitting on my stoop this morning and I was watching these, I think they're starlings. Just, I love the way their wings, they're so small and the way their wings go and they have a particular body as they're flying through the sky. So birds can fly across and then clouds can fly across and then the way the leaves meet the sky, these beautiful bright green leaves now this time of year. And it's all okay. There's an open quality to all of this that's not about controlling. It's not about it has to be a certain way. Another word that's used here is possibility or potentiality. And where I feel this expressed as compassion in our relationships with each other, our connection with each other as human beings, let's stay with that just for now, is not boxing each other in, not seeing each other as cardboard cutouts, limited. Oh, she's the angry person. Oh, he's the (laughs) know-it-all. But giving ourselves and each other the possibility of being free, of what we say is um, habit energy or the, the way we get boxed in in our family dynamics. You know, whether we're the third daughter or the oldest or the only, you know, how that all gets so enmeshed and then plays out like we're playing a role for our entire life. So this emptiness of self is the freedom from that kind of conditioning. The way we limit ourselves, the way we line up within expectation without even realizing it. 
So this weekend, an expression of this warmth and this freedom from karmic formations, freedom from habit energy, how in this truth of the emptiness of, of self, it's, it's the illusion of separation, the illusion of aloneness. And our practice is just nourishing that awakening, the awakening to the illusion of our separation, the awakening to the illusion of our aloneness. And one of the ways we practice this, it's happening this weekend with the sewing that's going on. Two Sangha members, well, three, three Sangha members are sewing this weekend, um, sewing their rakasus. Uh, Jikan and Emily and Seitetsu are wearing the rakasus. They're like those bibs. Someone flip them up. Yay, because it's hard to see against your dark. Yes. <laughs> yes, there they are. They're hand sewn. And Jikan is leading the sewing this weekend at Seitetsu's house. So it's in person and it's not on the website. Sometimes we put it on the website because it is an opportunity for the Sangha to help sew these robes and to put stitches in the robes. It becomes a Sangha robe that the individual practitioner wears on behalf of not just this particular Sangha, but the Sangha of beings. And this is a way, you know, to manifest tangibly this not alone, like that rakasu itself, all those stitches are like little seeds, little seeds of connection, little seeds of awakening. And with each stitch, the practitioner or whoever's doing the sewing in that moment with that needle says, I plunge into Buddha. And the stitch comes out. It's called the, the, um, nam, the what's it called? The Namukya Butsu stitch. Yeah, okay. And Jikan, maybe a little bit later, you'll have a little bit more to share about this with the Sangha. With each stitch, Namukya Butsu, I plunge into Buddha. With each stitch, I plunge into Buddha. I plunge into awakening wholeheartedly. I don't hold back. This is the beginning the middle and the end <laughs> of living in vow, living with intention, living according to the Bodhisattva precepts, living with the mind of a Bodhisattva, an awakening being, awakening to the truth of connection, awakening to the fact of not alone and enjoying and appreciating that. So, Another practice place this weekend and many, 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 many weekends forward is the garden, which has the most wonderful name of the welcome garden. <laughs> How awesome is that? I think, was it Esther who came up with the welcome garden? It was kind of a communal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hold on. Oops, I'm having... Say it again, Seitetsu. 
was Hannah. Oh, Hannah. Okay. I remember that conversation. Hannah Rust. Um, so in the garden, the welcome garden in Beverly here, if you can come by, it's, it's this literally a field where we're planting literal seeds, planting seedlings. And so this is another tangible expression of planting wholesome intention, expressing beneficial activity in the world. You, each one of us practicing that. And my own experience has been when I enter the garden and really start to get in there, I don't want to stop. And this is important. When we say about monastic training or a zazenkai, a sashin, or going to a Buddhist conference, follow the schedule completely as the most important thing. That might, might, sound, that, that might sound like oppressive, follow the schedule completely. But what it means is welcome to samadhi. Come in, enter, settle, open, be here completely for the joy, the connection, the appreciation, the comfort. And that's what I feel. I feel that happening. I've heard that's what's happening with the sewing this weekend. It is. It's like entering this space of samadhi, this space of total concentration, which is not just about thinking. It does include thinking. But it's more of, I really love how sometimes this samadhi, this whole body concentration, immersion, non-separation between doer and doing. It's the ing, the gerund of aliveness, of presence without me enacting something, me making something happen. It's just immersion. The word is contentment, not looking around for anything else, but receiving what's offered right here, which is what we practice on the cushion, on our zafus, on our chairs. We call it shikantaza, just sitting. The freedom of not looking for something else, something better. The deep appreciation, mudita, of right here. I'm sorry, Ruth's not here. Just this, as Dongshan said. So, yeah, and in the garden, it's especially helpful because in the garden we get messy. I mean, when you're sewing, sometimes you prick yourself. Sometimes it gets messy that way. Um, but in the garden, you know, dirty and kind of smelly and definitely no separation from what's going on. So the activity of the garden this summer, and please dive in, is Wednesday and Friday evening, Zazen, 6.30 to 7, ending with the Pali Refuges. We just settled on that the other night. That's now our practice in the garden, <laughs> taking advantage of the opportunity to chant together. And um, and then 
the the work times, especially right now, um, Saturday mornings, Saturday mornings, getting in there, working with the soil, um, doing dump runs, puttering in the space, maybe painting, working with the where the compost, where the yard clippings, or, you know, making some key decisions there, being with each other, you know, including this gigantic worm that was discovered at the bottom of the yard clippings, which was, I don't know, that was about six feet tall, <laughs> that pile of clippings that, that we hauled. <laughs> Maybe in a little bit when we come back from the, the pairing up, Maybe some people who've been working in the garden would like to share a little bit about that experience because it is, it's so simple. It's so pure. It's so innocent. It's so sweet. And it's a lot of work. So we do need the help to care for the garden. And it's not separate from just this deep joy, this deep comfort of being together and doing something, <laughs> you know? So it, I, I want to say to the people who are sewing this weekend, just to encourage the joy, you know, noticing and appreciating the joy and the comfort of, of the sewing and seeing it as an offering to yourself, grounding in that joy and that comfort and also getting your rakasu done. <laughs> Um, because the next stage is once, once I receive the Roxus, I've chosen the names already. I've landed on the names. I've had a few calligraphy sessions with Michiko and I'm practicing the calligraphy. I offer the calligraphy on the back of the Roxu. And then the practitioner has a new Dharma name that they may or may not use. And it's so, it's so sweet to feel that connection with that human being it's so poetic and it's so all of this is another window into the self it's not just seeing the bummer of how we cling <laughs> bad bodhisattva bad you're clinging again that's not the spirit <laughs> you know and, and and by the way this whole thing about the samadhi and the vimalakirti sutra it's so cool that all these beings show up and they stay there they settle there. They settle right in for the experience. You know? So that's part of it is to show up and to settle right there and to stay with the experience. The experience of noticing our clinging and it's not squelching. It's not deadening. It's not a dead end. It's more an opening it's actually an opening because it's an opening away from me over here into we together creating beauty. So this joy and this comfort of sowing this weekend, of gardening this weekend as an offering to ourselves, grounding ourselves in this opening this new view of me. Like, 
some of these big people, big, I'm going to say big guys with these big hammy fingers sewing. <laughs> it's so beautiful to see someone who's never sewn before, who's never picked up a needle is sewing a rock suit or someone who's, you know, maybe never done manual labor before putting on the work boots, putting on the overalls, um, interacting with compost, interacting with the totality of life. Maybe you've never been to a dump before. It's one of the most important and vital practice places there is. So I encourage this and, and I encourage, you know, check the website and see about ways that you can show up this summer. Because basically all I'm talking about is having a place to put your love. Tangibly, bodily, not romanticized, not sexualized, you know, no confusion there, just your love, your loving heart, something to care for, something to create with other beings and something to engage with as an offering. Does any of us see the garden as our own? When you put your rakasu on, do you see it as your own? If you do see your rakasu as your own when you put it on right now, it's okay. For now. This practice, because it is a practice of settling right here, <clears throat> being right here. It's very simple. It's very easy to get confused and to get intellectualized about it. So fortunately, we have our bodies to remind us in Zazen. So right here for the last minute or two, let's practice this. Challenging this notion you know, of me as fixed, as separate, as wanting something, as needing to know something. And as far as I know right now, the practices meeting the sweetness of the birds right outside your window. It's like they're saying, Joan, <laughs> drop it. <laughs> we know you're trying to give a Dharma talk right now. <laughs> drop it. So just so you know, I'm feeling my butt on my Zafu. I'm feeling my knees on my Zabuton. I'm feeling a little bit of ache in my sacrum, 
I'm feeling some ache in the back of my neck. I'm feeling my hands on my lap. And now I'm coming into the cosmic mudra, which is a reminder for opening. Opening bravely to this moment and dropping in right here and taking a breath right here and letting that breath in itself be a full and complete expression of emptiness or connection. On the inhale, expanding into this. Appreciating fully this and on the exhale, emptying out. No need to stay there. Trusting the movement of this aliveness. Doing it again, breathing in fully. Breathing out fully. And yes, in the Zen tradition, all the while the spine is long, head right on top, the crown of the head extending forward, facing this moment, facing. facing the whole front body (laughs) and by the way (laughs) challenging Darlene can there be eyes not just in the back of the head but through the whole back the whole back body a 360 degree seeing not clinging to a notion of seeing but seeing with our ears seeing with our skin. Grounding our seeing in our very breath, the very cycle, the very movement that's encouraging us to see, see, see. Thank you. So just a couple minutes of just being together, tweeting with each other. I don't mean that kind of tweet. I mean, chirping. (laughs) Being with each other, little bodhisattva birdies, all of us. So we'll uh, divide up into groups of two or so for the next few minutes, and then we'll come back to the whole group. Thank you, Emily. Okay, welcome back. Yay, did everybody come back? I think so. Heidi, I want to just say to you, I was hoping I'd see you. I thank you so much for that beautiful painting. I'm looking around to see if I have, I have it close by to show people. Thank you so much. It was lovely. Yeah, I, I have it close by and I think of you. So, um, 
Oh, here's a thought with the Zoom world. And I, I love it that I don't know if other people came early, you know, as soon as you got that 60 second warning. But there are so many playful opportunities like Rob and I, we were able to time our gasho like in the last five seconds. <laughs> or do you do you see the, the minute warning and you hightail it out of there? Or do you see the minute warning and just stop speaking and just be with each other? Or do you try to just fill the space for 60 seconds? What's the invitation? Anyway, that's kind of an ancillary question. If anybody has a response, I'm curious to hear. But otherwise, anything else from your your, your time with your Dharma friend? Anything you'd like to share? Did the words no gaining mind or um, commitment resolve, not knowing, did any of these come up in your conversation or did you talk about the weather? (laughs) Because with Rob and me, these came up because this is what we're talking about. The extraordinary, the miracle of human beings sitting Sazen, whether or not you know it, because you may still think that just like you may still think that this Rakasu is yours, or I may think that this Kesa is mine, um, we may still think that we're practicing to get somewhere, to get something, to be saved from something. <laughs> I mean, and so, but part of us knows. The part of us that, you know, and I'm, I'm always curious, you know, like people keep showing up. <laughs> some people do (laughs) the feeling I have I just want you to know showing up on Sunday mornings I so look it's like we get to bow together oh we get to just sit together you know I want to say I would feel totally different about this if I were doing this alone I would feel totally different about this it's the fact that we do it together that I look forward to it so much Anyway, what about you, Chris? Dave and I continued our bantering from last week's book club. Still skeptical about agency. We did some math. Um, (laughs) Other than that, things were good. Um, It was nice going to the Welcome Garden yesterday. Uh, I will uh, further encourage everyone to do that. uh, Joe and Seitetsu and I, I am, the, I am that dude with a truck. And so I was able to help bring some leaf litter and assorted goop from the corner over to the dump. It was really fun. So uh, on Saturdays, if any of you want to join us, we'll be doing stuff like that for the summer. Okay, so this thing around agency... You know, and the fact that that <clears throat> Zen is not going to save us. I was going to say Zen is not going to save you, but I want you to know that it's not going to save me either. <laughs> and still, I seem to have devoted my life to it. And why? I was saying to Rob, you know, at one point, 
you know, this question, and this was one of those moments at Tassahara that I was talking about in class the other night, where when you're in a practice place for a sustained period of time, and you know, the earth is also our sustained practice place. It's just that we might not always notice that. It's not as clear as when you're in a narrow valley and everybody's bowing and you know everybody's eating the same food and doing the same schedule. Then you really notice, oh, this is a practice place. So at one point, I remember exactly where I was standing. I was on the steps of the Zendo. It was during work time. It was during the summer. It must have been really hot. I must have been really tired. It's hard work. And someone walked by and annoyingly asked, how's it going? (laughs) And I said, with or without me, it's going. (laughs) So agency is not being in control. With or without me, it's going. (laughs) The agency is what, with what mind do I receive the invitation of that fact? (laughs) So practice is a choice. Anybody else? Sitetsu. So... This is just a kind of a funny thing about language and, you know, grammar, but the, uh, the, the latest version, you know, of the, uh, the, the how to write with the grammar is that it's okay to end a sentence with a preposition. <laughs> and things just, you know, it's so funny. Language is very powerful. I mean, I think of in the social justice group, you know, hearing people say, you know, instead of using but, just use and. And it, it's like little things with language and, and the gerund, the I-N-G. You know, it, and it, it shapes, can just shape, reshape the whole world. So uh, that's just something I was thinking about. And, and Wendy and I, it was so nice to uh, pop up. You know, it's always a mystery who pops up. And uh, we had a beautiful conversation. So... We maybe we talked about the weather. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Seitetsu. Doctor Seitetsu, if she says it's okay to end a sentence with a preposition, then it's okay. <laughs> um. Any last? Any last thought? Before we go forth into this beautiful day, chanting the Pali refuges. Yes, Chikan, yes, Chikan, please tell us. Just saying that, you know, if anyone is curious about the sewing, uh, you could drop by. <laughs> um, you know, even you don't have to stay long, even, or maybe you do want to stay long, who knows? In a few minutes, an hour, who knows? Um, but I can put my phone number in the chat and then if, if people are around or maybe it strikes you later, um, you can just send me a text or call me. Um, Beautiful, Jikan. Thank you. Oh, Wendy know. wants to say something too. Jikan, that's awesome. And you can also email or call Zen Center and we can pass on that information to you too. Yeah, Wendy. It's two days. It's, it's, it's today and tomorrow. So thank you, Jikan. 
Yeah. So uh, 11 o'clock today is when we're started, uh, when we're scheduled to start. I just need to go eat something and throw my stuff in the car and head to Beverly. <laughs> and then uh, uh, we'll be there until 5 today. And then we're scheduled to be there 9 to 5 tomorrow or until we finish. So if you're coming tomorrow and it's later, you might want to text me first just in case. Thank you so much, Chikan. So, yeah, if you're curious and either get Chikan's number or call Zen Center and we are aiming in these really extraordinary times where it's difficult. You know, it's so precious to do one thing and do it completely, to complete something. So to help these bodhisattvas complete their rakasus, especially because two of the three are young dads. They are very involved dads of young children. And they're also both school teachers. And then one is very involved in her family too. She's super involved with her grandchildren. <laughs> so people have a lot going on and still staying steady, staying focused. So if we can complete these this weekend, then we can schedule the Jukai, the ceremony. So be on the lookout for that. And hopefully we'll be able to do it. Maybe we'll do it in the welcome garden at some point. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Okay. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks so much for being here, for your kindness, for your ongoing inquiry. All right, we'll just chant the refuges together. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.